Greetings and salutations, and welcome to The Good Lawyer Show. I am your host, Matt Scrivens, and we are excited and honored that you are joining us. On the show this week, we have Daniel Goldgut, co-founder and CEO of Epilogue Wills. Now, we all know thinking about your will can be stressful, and if you're anything like me, this task can find a permanent place on next week's to-do list. Many of the decisions you need to make can often feel a little overwhelming, especially if you have kids or property to deal with. Add in the fact that traditionally sorting out your will can take a long time and cost quite a bit, it's understandable that people aren't rushing to get these done. Enter Epilogue, who have simplified will and estate planning. Instead of it taking weeks or even months to sort out, Epilogue has streamlined the process so that you can do it in less than an afternoon and pay only a fraction of big firm rates. And who can't get behind that? In addition to discussing the importance of getting your estate sorted out, our conversation with Daniel covers how the idea for Epilogue Wills came about, how Epilogue built their product and got traction from their customers, whether it was a difficult decision for Daniel to quit his job and take the entrepreneurial leap, the challenges around automating legal work, among many other topics. If you're in the market for a will, make sure you check out Epilogue. As you will hear, I will soon be doing the same myself. In fact, it's on my to-do list for next week. All right, that is it for me. Please enjoy our conversation with Daniel Goldgut from Epilogue Wills. Daniel, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, it's uh, our pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. I know as a startup founder, time is valuable, you know, so we do appreciate you taking a, a, an hour or so to chat with us today. Where are we finding you today? I'm home, sitting, I guess, in the home office. This is where I've been since the middle of March, so quite some time now. We, uh, we're actually working out of the Legal Innovation Zone, which is a legal oh, yeah. tech incubator affiliated with Ryerson's DMZ. So we... We're working out of that space for a little while from early December till mid-March. And then uh, they shut the doors when, I guess, when COVID sort of necessitated that they do that. And so I've just, I've been working from home since then. How was that experience? Actually, I didn't know that about you guys, uh, but obviously a pretty interesting setup that they have there. Was that, did you find that quite valuable being able to work in that environment? Yeah. Maybe just give a bit of background of what that is actually for, for those who don't know. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, uh, it's an incubator that's affiliated with Ryerson's DMZ, but it's focused on legal technology companies. So we started working out of there at the beginning of December out of their physical space at Young and Dundas in downtown Toronto. And it's an opportunity for us to sit sort of right beside other companies, like-minded entrepreneurs, people that are doing all different stuff in the, in the legal tech world from immigration products, uh, verified signatures uh, and things of that nature. So it's just, it, it was a really good experience for us. No, that's excellent. And is this the first time uh, your first crack at starting your own company? Yeah, absolutely. Is. So right on. I'm a lawyer, practiced for four years doing corporate tax and estate planning work, uh, two different firms in Toronto. And it, that wasn't the perfect fit for me. And I was ready to try something different. And this was, uh, this was an opportunity to take the education and the knowledge from practicing in this area and, and do something a little different with it. 
Perfect. So let's uh, let's jump right in then, and maybe just uh, to start, why don't you just tell us a bit about who you are, what your position is currently with your company, uh, you know, and just give us a, a brief overview of what Epilogue Wills is. Absolutely. So I'm one of the co-founders. Um, the other co-founder is Aaron Klug. Uh, he's also a corporate tax and estate planning lawyer, and we actually worked together for a few years uh, when we were both practicing. And so both co-founders, I take the role as CEO. So. Uh, overseeing, you know, the, the day-to-day and, and also taking, taking a look at the big picture of uh, where we're at and where we're going. Uh, Epilogue is an online solution for people looking to create their own wills, powers of attorneys, and other estate planning documents. So it's a way for people to uh, take care of this really important thing at a lower cost takes less time than than the traditional avenue. No, that's excellent. Uh, and and you already touched on it a little bit, but obviously you are a lawyer and uh, have some prior legal experience. So maybe just tell us what attracted you to law in the first place, uh, and then how you found your traditional practice before uh, jumping into this new venture. For sure. I mean, it's kind of funny for me. I mean, I just always thought that I was going to be a lawyer. I mean, my dad practiced law for some period of time, and even even when he sort of went away from being a lawyer, I think I always still thought of him as, as being a lawyer. And so I think growing up, I just I just thought I would do it. It wasn't that there was any particular area of the law that I was necessarily attracted to or that I thought I would end up practicing in. I was just, I was excited about the, the prospect of going to law school and getting that education and then figuring out where the right fit was for me. So went to law school, summered an article that had a national firm, uh, from there, I went to a mid-sized firm, about 25 lawyers, and I practiced in the corporate tax and estate planning group there. I was there for three years and moved from there to another firm and spent less than a year there, still doing principally the same the same type of work. And by the end of that four years of practicing, it just it was clear to me that I, I needed to try something different. Uh, I didn't really know what that was and <laughs> spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. And then had this idea with Aaron that there was sort of an opportunity to simplify this process. I mean, the stats are out there about how few people get their estate planning done. And from actually sitting on the other side of the table where we were drafting wills, we knew what that process looked like. And we had a belief that we could automate that process uh, and simplify it to empower people to, to get it done. For sure. And and again, you, you touched on it a little bit there, but what hold did you see in the market or in the way that wills in particular were being delivered to the general populace that you said, Hey, you know what, this can be done better. What like what triggered that? Or was it just a gradual realization after doing these uh, for several years? Yeah, I think we looked out and we saw, I mean, there were stats that were available that showed how few people were getting their, their wills done. And then anecdotally, like when I would be speaking to people about what I did, it was just so common for someone to say to me, sort of, don't tell anyone, but I don't have a will. And so we we knew it was was a pretty pervasive problem. When we looked at the options that existed in the market, there are lawyers, there's estate planning specialists who do this work and they do excellent work uh, and they charge for it. And it makes sense because, you know, there's a certain type of client who they are absolutely right for. And so that client is going to get a lot of value out of that experience with that lawyer and they're going to pay for it, but they're going to be happy to pay for it. Um, And then there's a huge segment of the population that's just looking for relatively basic planning. And that was the segment that we thought we could bring something to this, to this market with our experience as lawyers, we can develop a product that would be 
less expensive, it would take less time, it would be simple, but also that we can put in place certain guardrails, let's say, to make sure that people don't shoot themselves in the foot, right? And so that's that's really what our focus was. I mean, we as lawyers at every turn said to ourselves, like, how can this go wrong? Like, how can someone take what we are putting in their hands and make mistakes with it? And how do we try to avoid that? And so that's really what we've done. Yes, paranoia is a valuable tool in the lawyer's arsenal. But yeah, two two points on on what you said there. First off, you identified a market much similar to what Good Lawyer has has identified as well as that underserviced you know market of people who need legal services, but either are just don't understand what what it is that they need or can't pay the the top dollar rates, which is you know one of the the biggest problems that we're encountering. And secondly, to to your point that. A lot of people don't have wills. I, you know, unfortunately, I have to count myself among that. It is on my uh, radar, and obviously, getting to know you guys, I think I'll have to, uh, you know, try out your service here. But uh, I was speaking to a friend of mine who is a very successful realtor, and uh, last year he he pulled in something like between two hundred fifty to five hundred thousand dollars. Like he's really meant for the role. He doesn't have a will. And, you know, I'm like, that's crazy. And he has a kid and, you know, and, and I'm like, that's crazy, man. You got to, like, you, you know, you should probably look into this. So you're right. It's uh, even people that you would think would have at some point along the way uh, figured this out. You know, it just seems to be something that can go unnoticed by a lot of people. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that, as you said, like it, it, it's somewhere on your to-do list. So you, you, you've turned your mind to it and, and you know it's important and you know that you'll do it someday you're just not going to do it today. Um, right. And there, there's a lot of barriers to estate planning the traditional way, right? The time, the cost, the complexity, and, and the where do you start, right? So you would, right. I mean, you're, you're a lawyer. Uh, so you, you presumably know lawyers. You presumably Without know lawyers. excuse. <laughs> That's right. You presumably know lawyers that practice in this area. And so you even have sort of a better starting point than most because you probably have a direct line to someone who, if they couldn't do it, could put you in touch with someone who could. But even still for you, there's, um, you're just, you're just, you're, you're not there. And so uh, what I find, I mean, in my own life is that people procrastinate things um, when there's some element of being unsure. Right. And so that unsure about where to start or what the process is going to look like makes this a really easy thing just to push off entirely. Excellent. I am guilty as a procrastinator, so uh, no argument there. But uh, why don't we dive into you know the story of your startup from from when this all started and and to where you are now? <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, I mean, so I, you know, I spoke a little bit already about the the ideation phase, um, and that led us to a place uh, about a year and a half ago when Aaron and I each quit our jobs uh, so that we could devote our full time and attention um, to this effort. And so that sort of takes us back to June, July of 2019. Uh, we hired a developer who joined our team who's incredible. Uh, he started at the beginning of October and, and we worked together, the three of us, um, for a little stretch there, um, just building out further the idea and building out the product. And we were in a position at the beginning of the year in January and February to complete some beta testing and get some really valuable feedback about what people were uh, liking and not liking about what we had put in front of them. Um, how did our service um, compare to their expectations of what estate planning would look like? And that was that was really valuable for us. 
yeah, how, how did that go? Because that's a, you're touching on one of the most valuable points in a startup is is that iteration and you know the product market fit is the the buzzword. Was that was that difficult for you guys to to? Did you have to go through a bunch of different things? Were you close right off the bat, or uh, you know how did that all work out? That was really interesting for us because, I mean, I think we got lucky in some sense because the things that people liked, a lot of people liked, and the things that people didn't like, a lot of people didn't like. Oh, great. And so we had kind of a clear road there. Uh, there's a lot that's that's working that people are, are, are feeling good about. And then there's some things that just are really not working. Um, and whether it's because that doesn't mesh with what people's expectations were, um, or, or we're not doing a good enough job of communicating a certain thing to someone. So that really helped guide some of those decisions in how to improve the product at that point. Was, as I said, that, that was really valuable for us. And then once we got through that, that beta testing stage, we were ready to, to launch to the public. And then that sort of brings us into mid-March. Right. What happened then again? <laughs> yeah. Mid-March 2020, and we were gearing up to launch and all of a sudden, you know, there we were uh, in, in in this strange time with everybody else, and so we, you know, we we knew that we had a product that was very valuable, independent of, of what was happening sort of in the world and in in the moment. Uh, you know, the the global health crisis. We knew that we had something that could really help a lot of people. And then when you layer on top of it what was happening in the world, where, where people actually couldn't go see lawyers, sort of limited people's options. Um, we struggled a little bit with with what to do. I mean, we didn't want to launch the company sort of in the midst of that and appear opportunistic or anything like that. I mean, clearly, you know, we'd, we'd quit our jobs a year before. Like, the, you know, this wasn't some... Right. Some, some great plan or planning or anything like that. I mean, this was this was odd timing. So we made some changes as far as what our marketing plan looked like, so that we would um, remain sensitive to to what was happening in people's lives um, while still being available if people wanted to find us. So that was that was March. We launched just in Ontario at the beginning because we're Ontario lawyers, and so we managed the process of being uh, ready. To launch in Ontario, and then if you fast forward uh, about a month ago, we launched in Alberta, which was which was really great. And then this week, actually, we launched in British Columbia. Excellent. That's that's really exciting that uh, you know that you're able to navigate that challenge and then also expand at the same time. And and how did that? Th- change how you guys approached it then like did covid that alter your plans or was it something that you felt that you were able to navigate one way or the other because i assume you know an online presence was going to be a, a central part of your role regardless yeah i think maybe it changed our plans in in the in the short term you know it changed what what, what march and april looked like but i sure. think in the in the grand scheme sort of the the vision for the company was still able to uh come to life um, right. Sort of in the months following, once sort of we had more um, comfort and clarity. I mean, there, there's certainly not a lot of clarity right now, but it was just a, enough to understand sort of where things were going. So, do you feel that you have found the product? Are you still working on tweaking it? Is that like a continuous process for you guys, or are you pretty happy with 
where it's at. Like, it sounds like you're targeting people who maybe aren't, you know, multimillionaires, but still need to get their affairs in order. But is that a, is that a continual learning process? Are you seeing different types of uh, clients coming to you and needing like, you know, different things? Because anyone who's been involved in the legal profession knows that law can be complex and there's rarely two situations that are identical. And so, um, you know, automating something like this, uh, you know, I, I assume takes a bit of flexibility in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really good point. Um, and so what we've tried to do is is to automate it, but as I said earlier, with certain guardrails so that we can handle a, a variety of situations, but also there's certain situations that are very clearly outside what we want to be doing. And so we've included questions in our process to get that information as soon as we can to let someone know whether or not we think we can help them. So there are uh, certain people who shouldn't use our service and we want them to know that. So you know, one example of that is if you have, if someone in your immediate family is collecting government benefits. Uh, so in Ontario, it's the ODSP program. In Alberta, I think it's the AISH. And so if you receive something under a will uh, while you are collecting those benefits, it may disentitle you from, from continuing to receive those benefits. And so it's really important for us that we ask that question. And if someone says, yes, someone in their family is, is receiving uh, those types of benefits, we want them to know that they shouldn't use our service. Uh, they should speak to a lawyer who can put the right type of trust in their will so that you don't run the risk uh, of putting someone in a worse position down the road. So maybe just take us through uh, a quick process. So let's say I come to your site and sign up to get a will done. What happens? Like, do I just fill out a bunch of forms? Do I get to talk to you at some point or is this completely automated? How how does one actually go about doing this? Great question. So, so you're in Alberta, is that right? That's correct. Yeah, so you would get to the website, you'd click on the button that says get started. Uh, the first question that you would see is where do you currently live? So you would say Alberta, and that would let our system know that that the will that is going to get um, created for you is going to be an Alberta will. So you would let us know that you're in Alberta. And when I say let us, I'm just referring to sort of answering that question um, on the website. And then it's going to take you through all the rest of the questions. So that's going to be, you know, your name and, and what, what are your relationships? So what does your family look like? You know, do you have a spouse or partner? Do you have children? And gather certain information about you, gather certain information about your family. You're going to make some decisions about distributions. Who do you want to get your stuff? Make some decisions about who should be the executor. So who do you want to be in charge? If you do have minor children, you're going to make some decisions about who do you want to be the guardian of those minor children. So each of those questions that you come to is going to be a really direct question. There's not going to be like an open text box that says like, hey, Matt, what do you want to do with your stuff? Uh, it's going to ask you really specifically um, to make certain decisions as you go through that process. Once you've answered all of the questions, you're going to have the ability to generate your documents. That's a process that happens you know, just about instantly. Uh, you're going to be asked to pay for your documents. And once you do that, you're going to have access to your documents. Um, one other thing that I missed is if you want us to mail them to you, we can print them and mail them to you. If not, you'll just print it on your own. Um, and then even though the will creation process happens entirely online, the signing process still happens offline. So whether we print it and mail it to you or you print it on your own, 
You're then going to be responsible for following the signing instructions that we provide, signing that document in the presence of, of witnesses, which, which is all set out in the instructions. And then ultimately, you're going to hold on to that. You don't send it back to us. You hold on to it. You've got your, uh, your single original. Uh, you keep it somewhere safe, and that's your will. And, and the same with your incapacity documents. So uh, in Ontario, they're powers of attorney. You know, there's a different name in Alberta and British Columbia. Um, and if you, if you choose to do all of those documents, each one has its own signing instructions so that you can go through and make sure that it's signed in accordance with the, with the laws of the province. Excellent. So if I'm understanding you correctly, then you could literally have a will done in an afternoon. Oh, certainly much less than that. I mean, uh, you know, people, people get them done. We say in about 20 minutes, you can certainly get it done <laughs> quicker. It can take longer. Um, and then the signing process. So yeah, you could, you could certainly have, have it all done in, in, in less than an afternoon. Well, now I really have no excuse. So that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that might've bumped it up on my to-do list here. Uh, so obviously simplicity of use, you guys sound like you've nailed that. So before we move on here, uh, is there anything else about your story that I haven't asked that you, you think uh, I'm missing? No, I mean, I think, I think you did a good job. I okay. think you asked the right <laughs> question. I mean, the one thing I would say, just sort of picking up on what you just said is um, a lot of people have this idea that they want to wait and they want to wait to do the perfect estate planning. They want to wait until they have uh, a certain amount of money or a certain number of kids before they do their will. Because in their minds, doing it is meant to be like a one-time thing. They want to do it, they want to do it right, and they don't want to have to redo it. Um, but that's just not the way it works with wills. It's meant to be a document that you reflect on and you look after you know, a year or two or three or five. And if your wishes change, you change. And that's okay. If the person that you named to be the executor uh, isn't the right person anymore, you should have the ability to go in and change your executor and regenerate your document, reprint it, re-sign it, and that's your new will. Same with the guardians of your children. I mean, people have a lot of difficulty deciding who should be the guardians of their children. But like you said, right. something is better than nothing. So put your wishes on paper, get it out there. And if in six months you want to change your mind, you change your mind. Um, right. So it's, 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 it's an important point. That's a great point. Really good point. So shifting kind of more back to your personal story, was it difficult to leave a traditional practice and take that entrepreneurial plunge? Like, did you ever have the, Oh my God, what am I doing moments? Uh, or was that a fairly smooth transition out perhaps knowing that you could return to a, a traditional practice if needed? I, I would say I had, I had jitters, um, early on in the process. So uh, when I left the first firm that I was at, I spent a lot of time wondering uh, what I should do next. It didn't feel like a perfect fit. And I knew that I, I needed some type of change. And I didn't know if that meant um, practicing in the same area at a different firm, practicing in a different area at a different firm. Does it mean going in house? Does it mean leaving law? Like it just, it really wasn't clear to me at that point. And so I found an opportunity at another firm uh, and I was really excited about that opportunity. And I went there and it was similar in a lot of ways to the work that I was doing before. And so through, through no fault of the place where I was, it just, it, it, it also wasn't a perfect fit. Uh, and so once I got to that point, once I'd gone to that next firm and I'd spent some time doing that work in a new environment with different people, um, and I was having similar feelings about my experience, it then became much easier for me to say, okay, I've now seen what this looks like at two different places. And it's not to say that that law is, is, um, 
is bad or wrong or never for me or, or anything like that. It's just to say that at that point in time, I had a lot more confidence to say that I was ready to uh, leave and try something different. And in your question, you know, you, you said it right. I had an interesting conversation with someone when I was going through that decision-making process who said, sort of, what's the risk to you if it doesn't work? So if you leave now and you're gone for 12 months and it just absolutely does not work, could you get another job in law? And I said, I think so. And so it's, you know, it's a year of earning potential that you lose. Um, and if you could go back, that, that that's kind of the extent of that risk. Um, and, and you'll and you'll have learned something and the education and the experience will be really valuable. But from like a leaving law risk, what does that look like? I felt like if I had left for for 12 months, I could return, not, you know, and and continue to do that kind of work. So it didn't feel as risky as maybe it sort of sounds like it like it was, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And I think that's one of the uh, benefits of having a skill like law or any other skill that you can return to. You know, it's nice to know that you always have a way to make money if you absolutely need to. So, uh, and it does give you that that leeway to maybe take a, a couple shots like this. So, um, so thus far, now that you're, you said about a year and a half in, that's yep. uh, yeah. So, what's what's been the most difficult part of running your own company? And obviously, you and your partners. I mean, uh, so far, like, what has been? If there's one thing that you said, oh, I did not know that this was going to be as challenging as it is, or, or is there anything, or were you pretty prepared for every point along your journey? Certainly not prepared <laughs> for every point along the journey. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, probably the biggest challenge is, is figuring out what to do next. And I mean that sort of in, on a hour to hour basis, a day by day basis and a week to week basis. Like we were, we were building something from scratch. And so, you know, there, there's no playbook for how to do it. Right. Um, you know, you speak to a lot of entrepreneurs and you speak to people that you that you trust and people who have done it before, but we were building a, a really specific type of product and what that product roadmap looked like and what that journey looked like was changing constantly and and how much time to devote to, you know, building the product and how much time to devote to sort of preparing to sell the product. Um, and, and building the company and scaling. And I think that there's, there's so many different places you can potentially spend your, your time, your energy and your resources and, and figuring out where to do that. Right. Like I said, on, on so many different levels, uh, it, it's, it's exciting. It's really cool. It's, it's a ton of fun. Um, but it's challenging because, because there's not always a clear answer. No question. No question. Yeah. I think you're right. That seems to be one of the most difficult parts is, as I'm sure, you know, running a company, there's so many different aspects of that. And, you know, if you go to a traditional company that you have departments for every single one, well, when it's three of you, you know, you're, you're multiple part departments all at the same time. So I know that that balance is very, uh, is challenging to learn. No, no question about it. So then just kind of last question here for and this is just advice to any person thinking about taking the entrepreneurial plunge themselves is there, is there anything that you would tell them like if someone came to you and says hey i'm thinking of uh launching my own company give me some advice what what am i uh what am i getting myself into is there anything that you'd say hey this is uh watch out for this or is it just a mindset what have you learned in your year and a half of uh of doing this yeah it's a really good question and you know it's when you work for someone else and you work 
in more of a of a defined role and maybe with more defined hours there's there's maybe more of a clear end to your day uh and if you're out starting your own thing i mean i was busy when i was practicing law but i work way more hours now there's no question um <laughs> uh, you know leaving law for me wasn't about working less uh because the clock, you know, it really never stops. So there's always more you can do. Um, yeah, pesky podcasters de demanding you come on their show. Yeah, I <laughs> know. I get it. I get it. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, I mean, you just have to be prepared for that. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's a ton of fun. Like I'm having, I'm having a great time and, and I'm super passionate about what I'm doing and, and the, the joys of, um, of, of, of the of the type of work we're doing and what we're accomplishing it, it's it's really awesome it's it's great there's no question you know the lows are lower the highs are higher um because you're you're so deeply invested in everything um so you just, you, you got to be prepared for that you got to be prepared for um you know one day it feels like it's all going south and the next day it feels like you're you know you're going to the moon so you got to stay even keel when you can uh, and and just be prepared to pour yourself into it Resilience. It is a, uh, a required a required attribute of a startup founder, no question about it. But I just wanted to uh, thank you again for coming on. This has been a true pleasure. It sounds like you guys have you know a bright future ahead of you. And obviously, Good Lawyer, uh, as well as companies like Epilogue, I think we're all part of a emerging sector trying to uh, maybe reinvent is too strong of a word, but make, uh, like you said, democratize law, make it more accessible for, for people who need it, not just the people that can afford it. And, you know, it, it sounds like you're doing good work. I will definitely be using your product here uh, soon. So can't wait to try it out. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, and I agree, we're, we're all part of, of an ecosystem that's looking to increase uh, access to justice and access to legal services. So um, to you guys too, keep doing the work you're doing. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for the time. Stay on the line here. I'll say a proper goodbye, but uh, thanks once again. Thanks again to Daniel for being on the show. If you like what you heard, please rate, download, and subscribe. Until next time, we hope you have a great week.